Well, thanks to everyone who, have, who has participated this morning in uh, making this uh, service possible and the um, uh, childcare workers that are heading downstairs now with the kids as well. Thanks, Cindy, for your prayer and Robin for your team, the tech team, so many people here uh, that are helping us to communicate the gospel uh, even beyond these walls, which is a really exciting time to be in. I don't know if we realize that. As a church, sometimes as we focus on COVID, we think of all that we've maybe lost. Um, but as a church community, we've also gained so much. Maybe we've been forced into it, um, but we have been able to adapt and adjust. And we're seeing the gospel spread in places and in ways that we couldn't have imagined even uh, two years ago. So thanks to everyone who is participating in this way. Well, we are praying with the Apostle Paul. And I hope that you're uh, taking this to heart and uh, praying along with him in some capacity, uh, maybe learning from Paul as we look at some of his great prayers. And today we're looking at Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 14. I'm not going to read it right now. So wait for the cue, Ian, and I'll cue you up. I just want to say that through the series, my bottom line is this. The very best prayer is the one you pray. Do you hear that? Like sometimes when we hear people pray that are very eloquent or even read like the, the Apostle Paul and his prayers and it's beautiful language and we think, ah, I just don't have the words. I just don't feel terribly worthy even to pray. And so I just want bottom line, the very best prayer is the one you pray. And so if you've got a shopping list, bring it to God. If you've got a complaint, bring it to God. If you've only got groans right now, bring your groans to God. Just bring it to God. He wants to hear from you as a loving father wants to hear from his children. Remember when my girls were small and at night I used to make up stories for them. But I think they also made up stories to tell me when they came home from school or when they're out playing with friends. And they are girls, of course, so they talk a lot. I don't know. I haven't had boys, so I shouldn't judge. Um, but my girls love to talk. They still do. Kira's shaking her head going, where are you going with this, Dad? Uh, but I loved it. I loved it when they were little, even though it was sometimes gibberish or sometimes I knew they were making stuff up. I loved to hear from them. And I still hear from them today. Even this morning, my oldest daughter texted to say, Dad, I'm in the shower and the water's gone freezing cold. Why was she texting in the shower is my first question. <laughs> Uh, but even if it's a text, I love to hear from my children, right? The Father in heaven wants to hear from his children. Even if it's strange, even if sometimes it's just stuff we make up, he wants to hear from us. That's my bottom line with prayer. The very best prayer is the one that you pray. Your heavenly Father wants to hear from you. But we also want to remember this, that prayer is meant to be a conversation, that it's not meant to be just one-sided or one direction. I think this is how we elevate our prayer is by beginning to understand that it is actually a conversation. William Barclay said this, we are trying not so much to make God listen to us. You realize that with our prayers. We're not trying to make God pay attention. There's nothing that we can do. We can't shout louder or use better words or you know, dance or do something weird. Um, we're not trying to make God to pay attention to us as much as we are trying to make ourselves listen to him. We're not trying to persuade God to do what we want, 
but to find out what he wants us to do. It so often happens that in prayer, we're really saying, thy will be changed, when we ought to be saying, thy will be done. The first object of prayer is not so much to speak to God as it is to listen to him. So as we grow, as we mature, as we practice in prayer, we want to elevate our prayer life, and this is one great way to do it, come with a posture of listening, of being ready to listen to God. This is our life hack for the day. Prayer is about listening, a posture of listening to God. And we see this in Paul's letter to the Colossians. Okay, Colossians, unlike Ephesians, if you're here last week, last couple of weeks, or watched online, um, Ephesians was a very special church uh, for the life of Paul. He spent a lot of time in Ephesus. He developed great relationships. There's a beautiful scene in the Acts of the Apostles where Paul pulls up in a ship some distance from Ephesus, and all the elders go down to say farewell to him. And they're hugging, and they're, they're praising, and they're crying. He had a very intimate personal relationship with the church in Ephesus. Colossians is different. It's not a bad relationship. It's just a secondhand relationship. Paul relates to Colossians through other people. And we find this in the passage, if we were to read from Colossians chapter 1 and verse 1, we find a, a man by the name of Epaphras. And he seems to be part of the go-between with Paul in the church at Colossae. In fact, if you go to chapter 4 of the letter, and I encourage you to read the whole letter today. You've got time. It doesn't take very long. And go to the end, and you'll come across a very interesting character. His name is Onesimus. Have you heard of this guy? Onesimus was once a fugitive slave. And his story is fascinating. It's all about God's grace. He was a slave. He was on the run. He came across Paul, and he became a follower of Jesus. And Paul sent him back as a brother in Christ. What an interesting story that is. And that's part of this whole uh, setting and situation with the church at Colossae. But the church was facing two great challenges. On the one hand, they faced the temptation to go back into the Greek philosophies. This is a very Greek city. Lots of options for worship. Uh, just basically pick your God, because there's lots of gods, and decide how you want to worship that God. And so when Jesus comes along, well, it's just another God. It's one among many for the Greek philosophers and those that practice the Greek religions. And there was this constant pull on the church just to say that Jesus is one among many, that Jesus isn't exclusive or very unique at all. And so that was a temptation to be pulled into this kind of let it fly, do what you want kind of life when it comes to worship. On the other hand, there were certain Jewish believers that were saying, if you want to be a good Christian, a great Christian, then you need to follow some of the old covenant practices. And so there was this tension that we find if we read through the whole letter between a kind of libertarianism, this ultimate freedom to worship the way you want, and a legalism, that you have to follow the rules. Does that feel familiar to you a little bit in our day and age? This temptation and this pull on the church, either to declare our freedom to do what we want and behave as we will, or this restriction to follow the rules exactly. And Paul wrestles with this a lot, actually. If you read through a number of his other letters, he does an interesting thing with his freedom. 
especially when it comes to things like eating meat, eating food. Some people would say, you can't eat that food, it's been offered to idols. And Paul said, an idol is nothing, and I'm free to do what I want. However, with my freedom, I am also free to give up my rights in order to serve someone else. That's an interesting stance that Paul takes as he moderates his freedom. He declares it, but then he's also willing to yield it in order to serve the church, in order to serve someone else. And so this is the tension that we find in Colossians. So now I'd like to read. Colossians chapter 1, if you have Bibles, you can turn to it or it's going to be on the screen. And we're just going to read this portion of the prayer we find in verses 9 to 14. Paul says this. For this reason, I want to stop there. I won't do the whole sermon here, but I just want to stop. As you read, this is a famous phrase of Paul. Have you picked that up? If you read through Paul's letters, he loves these words, for this reason. Well, for what reason? Paul usually bursts into prayer when he thinks of one of two things. When he thinks of the gospel, the gospel of Jesus, it moves Paul to worship. I hope the gospel moves us to worship today, that, that we're just so fascinated by it. We're just so amazed by it. We're just so amazed at the wisdom of God and the grace of God in the gospel that we're moved. For this reason, I just need to bow before God. For this reason, I need to burst into prayer. But the other reason is when he sees the response to the gospel in a community of faith. When he sees a community that's actually following the gospel, Paul says, for this reason. Okay, let's keep reading. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Good stuff, right? Paul writes beautiful letters. Do you just get caught up in some of the language, the beautiful words that he uses? Don't you just wish you could kind of pray like that? He's got wonderful ideals. He's got these lovely prayers. He says things like, you need to give thanks in every circumstance. He says things like, pray without stopping. Pray all the time. He says things like, rejoice in all that you do. When we think about this, I mean, Paul must have had a wonderful, secure, privileged, happy life, right? No, he didn't. Paul had a terrible life. <laughs> he really, <laughs> I would not want to be the Apostle Paul for all his knowledge and all his opportunity and all he was able to do. He had a hard, hard life. Sometimes we read the Bible and we think, man, if they only knew the pain that I'm feeling right now, if they only knew the loss, the frustration, the disappointment with God and with others, if they only knew the, the difficulty I'm having with my family and friends, if they only knew what it was like to live in troubled times, and have a terrible government. No, I, I'm not going there. But anyway, 
But that's sometimes we feel if they only knew, they would say something different. But Paul knew all of that and more. Consider the time that he lived in. And when Paul wrote to the Colossians, he did so from prison. This is one of the prison letters. Paul isn't out enjoying his freedom, having a great time on the town. Paul is in prison during this time. And I think that's what makes his prayers real and helpful to us. Because if Paul can do this while in prison, then we can do it while we sit here with our freedom as well. Well, the situation in prison was a little bit different. And, and I don't know, when you think of Paul in prison, I don't know what image comes to mind. But maybe it's a bunch of bars and a dank cell and maybe he's chained up. It wasn't really like that. Uh, Paul was essentially in house arrest in Rome in kind of his own rented house. But he wasn't allowed to leave. He was actually, most likely, chained to a Roman guard 24-7. This is how he had to live his life. Can you imagine? Just think of your daily habits, okay? Just think through it. I'm not going to spell it out for you, but think through it, and now you're chained to someone 24-7, a rotating guard so that you can't escape. But all that you do, you have to do with this person that is now chained to you. That was Paul's reality. But he was allowed to have guests, he was allowed to have visitors, and here is one of the amazing things. Many, many of those guards came to believe the gospel. So Paul, in the middle of his chains, is still preaching the gospel. And it tells us in Acts and in other places that many of the Praetorian guard, these elite guards in Rome, came to believe the gospel and became followers of Jesus Christ. I wonder if some of the guards were like, ah, oh, it's your turn, I don't want to, he talks all day. He, does, he prays. He, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. You go. Paul literally had a captive audience. When I, when I hear that, I think of my mom. And I remember a story my mom told me. Uh, she used to pick up hitchhikers in the Okanagan a lot. Uh, and some of you have heard this story. She would travel from, Kelowna, or from West Bank into Kelowna, if you know the area. And it was pretty common for people to hitchhike. Me and my brothers did it from time to time as well. And so mom would pick up hitchhikers. And I'm not kidding you. Sometimes she would bring them home to stay with us. One time she brought like five guys from Scotland home uh, for about three weeks. They stayed with us for a chunk of the summer. And I think four of them became followers of Jesus during that time. She's still in touch with two of them. Uh, but this one time she picked up a hitchhiker and he pulled a knife on her. And as they're traveling into Kelowna, I think my mom realized she has at least three options. Option number one, freak out. Just panic, start screaming for help. Option number two, fight this guy off. But he has a knife. So option number three, tell him your testimony. I don't know if that ever occurs to you in the middle of a holdup, but it occurred to my mom. And so my mom started to share the gospel with this guy who's holding a knife on her and told uh, her whole testimony, which is quite fascinating. And uh, at one point, the guys just said, look, lady, just drop me off on the side of the road. <laughs> so you see, your testimony can save your life and save another person's life as well. I don't know if he ever responded to the gospel, but it's in those situations that Paul found himself as well, chained to a guard under threat of execution, ultimately. And what is he doing? He is sharing the gospel. What a testimony to us. So it's in these circumstances, and I wanted to paint that picture intentionally, because it's in those circumstances that Paul prays this for the church. 
We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so that you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy. Three things, three outcomes that Paul hoped for for the church in his prayer. First outcome, stamina. He prayed for stamina. That's the word endurance. Perhaps we could even translate it stick to You're familiar with that phrase? Being able to keep at it and not quit. He prayed for stamina. And it's a word that relates to our circumstances, that we're not simply patient and enduring our circumstances, but we have the stamina to overcome our circumstances, to break through it. It's the word that Jesus takes up, and it's a word that actually we find in the book of Revelation. And it says, those who endure to the end will be saved. We need stamina to endure to the end. One of my favorite descriptions of the Christian life uh, comes from Eugene Peterson. I've mentioned it before. You may have heard me. And he, he describes the Christian life this way. It's a long obedience in the same direction. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's a long obedience in the same direction. That's the stamina that we need. Like Winston Churchill said, if you're going through hell, keep going. <laughs> keep going. Stamina, that's what Paul prays for. I think we need stamina right now. Do you sense that? We need a stamina that's beyond the energy that we have uh, during this time of COVID and during this time in our families and in our relationships and our jobs. We need stamina. We need the strength to endure the circumstances that we face. A great prayer to pray today for your friend or for yourself is to pray for God's stamina. Second outcome of his prayer that he was hoping for is this. Patience. Not only stamina, but patience. There's a difference, and here it is. The Greek word makrothumia, and the only reason I mention that is because macro means long in that sense, and thumos means temper. What was Paul praying for? He was praying that the church would be long-tempered instead of short-tempered. Do we find ourselves getting a little more short-tempered these days? A little more of a, a short fuse on things? I find myself doing that. I find it I'm getting more short-tempered with me, with maybe drivers on the road, with maybe other circumstances. This is a very special prayer for long-suffering. That's how it's translated sometimes. It's a willingness to wait and not pay back in kind. It has to do with a willingness to forgive and refusing to take revenge. This is a relational word. Just as the first word stamina relates to circumstances, this word patience relates to our relationship with people. Paul is praying that the church would be patient with one another, would be long-suffering with one another. We need to be patient with one another right now. What a great prayer to pray in this situation. So Paul prays for stamina, which no situation can defeat, and macrothumia, the patience, which no person can defeat. But the third outcome is the hardest of all for us to grasp, I think. He also prays for joy. It's one thing to kind of grin and bear it, right? Or even just grit our teeth and get through it, to have that kind of endurance. When you think of endurance and stamina, I sometimes think of a really long race. And you're not 
gleefully running down the road at the end of the race. You're just wanting to get across the finish line. That's not the image that Paul has in mind. He actually has the image of joy in mind, not a stamina and a patience that is grit your teeth and bear it. As uh, William Barclay says, the Christian way is not a grim struggle with events and with people. It is a radiant attitude to life. Does anybody feel radiant this morning? (laughs) Not all the time, and maybe even not right now during this time, but there is a joy that Paul is praying for here that goes beyond our understanding and even maybe beyond our natural ability to generate. It's a Christian joy that is a joy in all circumstances. Love the way the message translates this. He, He says, We pray that you'll have the strength to stick it out over the long haul. Not the grim strength of gritting your teeth, but the glory strength that God gives. It is strength that endures the unendurable and spills over into joy. Thanking the Father who makes us strong enough to take part in everything bright and beautiful that he has for us. So this is Paul's prayer. Paul's prayer is, make me, O Lord, victorious over every circumstance. Make me patient with every person and give me the joy which no circumstance and no person will be able to take from me. That's what Paul is praying for. What a great prayer for our time. What a great prayer to pray today for a family member or a friend. This is how we elevate our prayer life, to expect God to bring us joy. Viktor Frankl might be a name that you're somewhat familiar with. Uh, He wrote Man's Search for Meaning. Viktor Frankl suffered through the horror years in a concentration camp in World War II. He lost everything. He lost family. He lost job. He lost possessions. He lost everything except for one thing. And this is what he says in his book. The one thing he had was his power of choice. In his book, Man's Search for Meaning, he states, everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. Now, Frankel, I'm not, nece- I'm not necessarily sure if he was a follower of Jesus, but he's on to something here. He's on to the idea that even though lots of our freedoms are maybe lost to us, and we feel that, we still have the choice of how we respond to them. But that choice cannot be in our own strength. That's where Frankel's quote kind of falls short. I think the only way that we can move toward joy is if we have God's power. That's Paul's prayer that we may be strengthened with God's power to choose to stick with it, to choose to suspend our tempers, and to choose joy. Does it sound impossible? Yeah, it is. That's the whole point. If it was possible in human terms, we wouldn't need God's grace. We wouldn't need the gospel. We wouldn't need prayer. And so the challenge today is to pray the impossible, to pray that God would give us joy in the circumstances that we face in life. Let's pray together. Father, as we face these times and we face the individual circumstances of our own life, we pray that we might know your strength, that we may have the stamina to endure and the stamina even to overcome to your praise and to your glory. And Father, forgive us for our short tempers, for the times when we have acted inappropriately with one another, 
we pray that you would give us macrothumia, this long-suffering. Help us to learn to forgive others just as you have forgiven us. Father, above all, we pray for joy. We pray that this week we might be surprised by joy, a joy that comes not from our circumstances, not even from our relationships, but comes from your grace and knowing you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.